Yo, what's up, everybody? Jake and Holden here. I'm Jake, and this that is Holden. <laughs> All right, I don't talk like a dog. I don't talk like a dog. All right, either way, uh, we are doing a bit of a network-wide uh, vacation, uh, which is important, I think, for all of us to recharge and to just uh, for our editors to be released from their cages, to see the outside world, uh, which must be fun. The doctors said they had rickets because <laughs> we kept them indoors all year up until now. And so legally, because of rickets based legislation, we have to give them a break. So that said, what we wanted to do is essentially what we've done in Pat in the past, where we release a little batch of some of our Patreon bonus content for you guys. Give you a little bit of a taste, a little bit of that. You know what I'm saying? We're being like the drug dealer right now. Give you a little taste so that then you maybe think like, hey, maybe $5 a month, not so crazy, right? Mm-hmm. To support uh, my fifth favorite podcast. I'm hey, hey, we're say. number 10 in arts and leisure <laughs> on Spotify. <laughs> Uh, so enjoy this. This is uh, the first episode we're, we're, we're dropping here is a collection of our year that was that we you may have heard uh, from the holidays. But this is going to be the year that was 2007, 2008, and 2009. Very fascinating stuff, especially as we're starting to catch up more with, uh, uh, I guess, like our modern day. And definitely this is what me in New York but just kind of getting to New York and struggling with uh, getting my sketch comedy group Murder Fist off the ground. And in these episodes, we just talk about all the stuff, the, the music, the video games, the movies, mostly video games and movies, a little bit of TV and music thrown in that came out that year. And we noticed that that really st- seems to swell up a lot of nostalgia, a lot of memories. Um, but also, it's very fun to take a year and review like that. Take Take one year and look at the media that came out and just be like, hey... For example, I don't think know if this is true or not, but for example, 2008 was like a weird fucking year for comedies, and 2009 was like a groundbreaking year for video games in these interesting ways, or this is more of a transition year, a rebuilding year of sorts. Do you want to know when your favorite celebrity stopped making good movies? This is the series for you. <laughs> so we hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for understanding as we uh, dip out for a little bit, and uh, we will definitely be back moving, going strong with Wiz and the Bruiser. Uh, as I am looking towards uh, taking a bit of paternity leave here uh, coming up in August, I will say we may have some special guests in place of myself for a couple of episodes as well, but that'll be a little later on. I'll figure it out. It's fine. Yo, yo, he's got it. It'll be great. It's going to be huge. We got big names, big guests. All right. Definitely. It's not going to be me and then just you, but me doing a dog voice. That's not what the show is going to be. I think we got Jamie Foxx for one of them, but we'll see. Uh, but until that happens. Unfortunately, I could only get Jamie Parr. I could only <laughs> oh, get Jamie man. Parr. Oh, man. That's unfortunate at best. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again, everybody, for your support, for uh, understanding us taking off for a little bit here. And uh, we'll be back with more content for you guys. And uh, man, it's just been um, unbelievable, an unbelievable ride so far. I love doing this show, Jake. And uh, I just want to thank all of our listeners. Thank you so much for for sticking with us. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. It is the year that was 2007. And uh, Jake has already nailed down this year as um, legendary for gaming. Weird as hell for movies. Weird and, as hell uh, yeah. for movies. One of the weirdest years in movies I think I've ever, like, witnessed. Um, just, like, the array of, like... Like, there are movies here that will, like, go down in history as, like, 
what the fuck classics as well as some of the most beloved like actual real movies but yeah 2007 i'm just in awe like this is the year that gave us the orange box from valve as well as Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. That's the mood we're in right now. If you can hold both of those in your head at the same time, you're in 2007 mind space. Uh, by the way, I beat Half-Life Alex yesterday. The ending is pretty fantastic, and I'm excited to talk about that on a, uh, I hear, a roundup at some point. I hear the G-Man just like in full 3D audio just licks both of your earlobes. I hear that happens. There's de- it's definitely like a Wowzers ending if you're like super into the series in these, you know, in ways that I'm not necessarily, but like especially after I went and looked at some ending explained stuff and, you know, it's essentially, I, I really can't say too much about it. I want to do a super spoilery discussion of it, like the very tail end of a monthly roundup. But before we get to that, Man, the game's coming out. Not only are we establishing, like, these mega awesome series, we're also, uh, we're, no, that's, like, what we're doing here. We're establishing mega awesome series. So, let's start with Bioshock. Bioshock, of course, obviously, like, this incredible video game experience that if you're really, really into video games, every everyone should go experience Bioshock, and it holds up. Mm-hmm. The Legacy Collection or whatever it is that came out that has like all of them in it uh, forced me to go back and replay one, and just everything going on in one is like so amazing. First of all, genuinely terrifying. One, mm-hmm. one of those games that absolutely genuinely scared me up there with like Dead Space, Resident Evil 2 when I was a kid. Mixed with this really fascinating storyline that has obviously a huge, big uh, twist at the end, but also is just dealing in things that you don't see a lot in video games, dealing in these uh, different ideals and politics. We did a whole episode, Holden. Yeah. We did a whole episode about all the cool things and just the... um and one of the things that people kind of gloss over because the aesthetic and the politics and the twists and the... Uh, art direction are so outstanding. The core gameplay in of itself, that like plasmid gun uh, fire, like one, two combo and all the combinations of kind of powers and weapons you kind of use in conjunction with each other is a great gameplay loop. Yeah. It, it just was like set a new standard for video games. And actually there's something in TV that comes out that I feel like sets a new standard as well, but we'll get to that. But it does set this prestigious standard in gaming, that a bar that I hadn't quite got to. You know what, Jake? I want to just name all of the big series beginning games, and then we'll go back and talk to them, right. talk about them, because this list is insane. You have Bioshock, Assassin's Creed, Portal, Super Mario Galaxy, Mass Effect, <laughs> Rock Band, Uncharted Drake's Fortune, The Witcher. Mm-hmm. Am I missing anything? The, I'm, 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 that's just that's just the non sequels. That's I'm just calling out the the series beginners here. Uh, I would say even among the sequels, there are definitive sequels that in of themselves uh, are like pretty much new games. But uh, we also got Skate. We also got uh, The Darkness. We also got B Movie the game. Okay, that one was less of a legend. <laughs> yeah, dude, I can't. But legendary installments, legendary installments, because we're doing Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare, Halo 3. We're talking Team Fortress 2. We're talking Guitar Hero 2. 
We're talking God of War 2. Like all of these games that, yes, they were part of existing series, but all of these sequels took it to a globe dominating level. Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, right? I mean, that's is that the first Modern Warfare game? Yeah, yeah. So even that is establishing something. Let's go through this list and talk about our personal relationship. Uh, I'll just say about Biocheck, I probably talked about in the thing, but I think, you know, I think this is might be the year I got back into video games on a in a big way. Mm. And because I, I, okay, 2007, this was going on 2007. 2006, I left Tallahassee. I went home to Charlotte for like a month or two, tops. Got into a U-Haul truck with my buddy Ed who drove it up from Tallahassee. And then together, we drove all the way to New York City, found an apartment in two days. And all of a sudden, I'm living in like an incredibly dangerous part of New York City with my buddy Eddie. I watched a lot of Sopranos that year. I drank a lot of 40s that year. It was, you know, it was a whole situation. 2007, I move into Williamsburg. I finally like figured out my bearings in New York. Figured out where I actually wanted to live, where it wouldn't be like a horribly terrifying existence to live there. Found a great apartment in the heart of Williamsburg. Back when Williamsburg 2 wasn't like, though, it was annoyingly gentrified, but it wasn't like annoyingly gentrified like it is today. And just started really living my best life in New York City with uh, living with, uh, I don't know if I was living with Ben Kissel yet. But either way, I believe Kep was my roommate by this point because I definitely got to play some of these video games just in proximity. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was really just such a huge splash. So Bioshock, of course, played that game in there. I remember I turned off the lights, started playing Bioshock, and then found myself turning on the lights. It was very terrifying. Um, But let's move on past that. I didn't fuck with Assassin's Creed. No, Assassin's Creed until way, way later. I think I got in on, like, what was the first of the newest trilogy, honestly, is, like, the first Assassin's Creed game I actually played. Did you, but it still was such a huge splash, right? I mean, what is this first Assassin's Creed game? By the way, we have, I'm sure we'll do an episode on it eventually. So this is an era, I did not own any of this generation of consoles. I did Me not neither. have a PS3, I did not have a 360, I did not, I don't even, I didn't even have like a decent PC at this point. So a lot of this is secondhand, a lot of this is like basically reflected internet memes, but Specifically, Assassin's Creed, I remember playing at uh, my buddy Sariel's house. He had what was, like, it was pretty much a hippie trap house. It was, he was growing pot out of there. It was, like, always just strangers around there, nonstop. Uh, Just a lot of degeneracy. That sound you hear is my uh, Zoshirushi rice cooker finishing. Because we're (laughs) having duck galbi for dinner. It's a delicious Korean spicy chicken dinner. Um, Anyway. I remember watching uh, Assassin's Creed because it like takes place in Jerusalem and like his he comes from Israeli family. and We were just kind of talking about the surreality of like playing that game. Uh, It was a little bit in the awkward stages. I forget the name of the first. It's uh, the guy before Ezio. He's like not as cool as Ezio. (laughs) Also, this doesn't even have the whole like jacking into the system plot thing right that happens no no like, no there's there's the whole layer with desmond miles oh that's at the end of this game okay the I whole thought that- point the whole point of the fucking um uh oh god why do i not know what this is uh the whole point of the it, what's the system called god damn it it's such like an iconic thing and i feel bad the, i forget it's like phalanx or whatever the I, whole point of that entire arc is to kind of like explain in the game universe why you're allowed to go around like dying and killing people and doing all this shit that like a historically accurate game would never let you do 
Like it's one of the great marriages of gameplay uh, and narrative is this entire caveat that you're in a virtual dream memory the, genetic the helix software something the, like that is what it Altair. is Altair Altair's kind of a dud but yeah. uh you know the entire but uh we have we have to do an assassin's creed thing at some point but it's it was born from the ashes of a failed prince of persia thing and kind of seeing what they slapped together from that is kind of amazing it, it just establishes this massively popular franchise, much like, um, what, where do we go to next? Mass Effect 1 was a game my nerd friends were playing who were big into KOTOR and big into sci-fi. I was super not into sci-fi, but I definitely saw what that was in proximity, how it was establishing, like, no, you're going to be able to, like, pl- take your character from this game and move it into the next game. I eventually would go back once I got a late generation 360, went back and got the entire trilogy for like 20 bucks, played through the hours and hours of great content. This first Mass Effect game, though, obviously has its issues for a lot of people. Some think it's the, the best one, and you guys are like the true nerds. We get it. But, you know, you're driving around that big, dumb space the, car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like just weird elements to it that that they remove the uh, elevators that uh, litter every environment because they didn't want loading times, but then they realized that just meant your characters have to stand around in elevators. The just bizarre. I just remember having weird moments with like different battles and things that were supposed to be epic, and I found some weird glitchy way to cheat it out and mm-hmm. things like that, and just just fun glitches in general when you deal with like just a massive undertaking of a game like this but again just establishing this incredible pedigree of course next maybe it'll be next episode or maybe it'll be two episodes from now i forget how fast the turnaround was for mass effect 2 but that game lit the world on fire and this game established that pedigree for sure and definitely brought us a whole new like ip a whole new world which is so much more exciting i think for a lot of people than kotor uh, just what what a groundbreaking thing. Uh, I don't even know what else to say about it other than I look at just how different than Rock Band is and what that brought to parties and stuff. We just did Wii Sports, right? Mm-hmm. And talked about how I sh- for the first time I showed up at a party and people were excitedly playing a video game together. Almost a little bit of a precursor to that was Rock Band. If someone had Rock Band at their house, that was a part of the party. If, mm-hmm. if you went over there and and it was a little bit more difficult to break into, you know, at the very least, you could always grab that microphone and try to sing along if you're intimidated by the instruments. But man, that just totally lit the world on fire and totally cemented the um, just the the age, this weird little mini bubble of, of a time period of the ridiculous controller. Yes. And I think culminated with the DJ Hero controller, which was the great, that had like a turntable and shit. My buddy had it. It was super fun to play with. People will swear that DJ Hero is like one of the the great unappreciated gems of all It gaming. was awesome. Like if I could get a whole, honestly, I would consider picking one up if, it, if like one came out for the PS5 or something. You know, I, I would strongly consider picking it up. It's a really, really fun game, but... I mean, Rock Band, right? I mean, were, were you uh, in, in... I mean, yeah, of course there would be Rock Band or Guitar Hero uh, little party sessions. Um, the uh, thing that really... This is so... At 2007, I just got out of college. Uh, I'm living in Silver Spring, Maryland with a, a single mom and her, like, baby. 
uh, in a, an apartment. I found like a weird pro- uh, job at a new at a Jewish nonprofit where like pretty much 90 percent of my job. I figured out how to like do instantly with an Excel plugin. <laughs> um, and uh, the biggest companion with me always was my coral pink Nintendo DS Lite. And this was peak Nintendo DS. And there were all these amazing little games that I personally were just became infatuated with. Uh, one of which is Puzzle Quest, uh, colon Challenge of the Warlords, which was this combination RPG with Bejeweled. And the idea was as you cleared stages and like matched gems, it gave you mana for different spells and attacks. And you had to like strategically play the casual game with this high level RPG game on top of it. And it was like a precursor to so many bajillion mobile games that now exist. Like the half of the app store is, oh, you're just, you know, you're just doing color matching bullshit, but then there's extra layers of combat on top of that. But this was um, hours and hours sunk into that game. Uh, The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. I was about to bring that up. I really, really enjoyed on the DS playing The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. I forget what was was annoying about that game. There was something that was annoying. Uh, The core thing that was annoying about that game, which uh, they fixed in um, the boat one, which I forget the name of the boat one, uh, was that the there was train a, one. the tr- oh no the train one you're right Phantom Hourglass was the boat one the tr- uh, spirit tracks that's why I forgot the boat one yeah I never got around to spirit tracks I always wanted to spirit but yeah, tracks the- is amazing the thing about Phantom Hourglass uh, that was uh, bad was the entire game revolved around a central dungeon and in order yes. to advance through the game you had to replay the central dungeon including the segments of the central dungeon that you had already cleared. So yes. every time you needed to make an advancement, you had to replay, you know, however 20 plus minutes of this section of these sections of dungeon that you already cleared. Uh, and it had to you had to like remotely steer Princess Zelda, who was uh, possessing the suit of armor. So like that was mildly frustrating. But the way they got all this like advanced Zelda gameplay to work on a touchscreen was incredible. I remember yes. drawing lines to uh, throw the boomerang. I remember well, swiping to do the sword combat. And the big, cool, crazy puzzle to get the thing on the map to get mm-hmm. on your map. Oh, yeah. that I had to look it up. I felt like... Uh, when I think I didn't end up looking it up, I think after a very long time of trying to figure it out, I figured it out, and I was like, that is the coolest shit ever. Hold on, <laughs> explain what the thing is. You Now, we explained this in the Zelda episode we did, but you you to get... The map on the bottom screen, you're, you're trying to get a map on the top screen onto the map on the bottom screen. You're like, how do I do it? Do I draw it? Do I, what, what? Nothing works. You have to physically close the DS and then reopen it. And you you will then have mashed the image on the map on the top screen and the bottom. It's such a weird, cool thing. It's so unique. Like, I've never seen anything like that in a different uh, game on the DS or anywhere Another else. Another amazing DS game was uh, The World Ends With You, which was uh, Nomura's... Yeah, oh, that was out this year. That was out 07? N- yeah, uh. which was Nomura's uh, over-the-top kind of like millennial hip-hop techno Shibuya uh, Tokyo street culture RPG. 
uh, I mean, how millennial was this? All of the bad guys were sentient tribal tattoos. That's how <laughs> millennial this. And is. you, you, it, it, one of the one of the things you could just blow into the controller. But one of the things you you could get is a, a very special move. Or there were different ones, and you had to yell into the DS. I quickly f- found out that you, I didn't have to actually scream into the DS, but that was much to the delight of my roommates. And when I was going ah, like into my own DS to get the dude to like do the special move, I loved that game. Fun fact, Holden. Uh, even if you figured out that you can blow into your DS, if you are playing the game on a crowded uh, metro subway in Washington D.C., uh, frantically blowing into your DS is still just as freaky and fucked up and gets you weird looks. <laughs> Yeah, I I cannot express how cool this game is, but unfortunately, it did come out on the Switch, but I've heard it is not quite the same because you really do need that touch screen. Like, so much of the game is in fights. You're, like, swiping using your stylus on the touch screen to make the moves happen, and that's such a big part of how fun, how the game is super fun to play, and I don't think you, you quite get that. At the height of the game, like, towards the end game, when you have all the powers and every mechanic that has been laboriously drilled into your head is finally going, you are playing on the top screen with the buttons and then fighting on the bottom screen two different battles like with the yes. so on the top screen you're fighting with the buttons and on the bottom screen you are fighting with the stylus not to mention all the extra little like you know microphone shenanigans it was an incredibly involving game um another i, I got so many fun, so this was my ds era uh drawn to life was this platform game in which you had to draw your own sprites as the levels produced, like, uh, kept going. So, like, there'd be a blank spot, and it was like, oh, here's a platform, draw a platform. Oh, uh, you got a weapon, draw a gun. Oh, here's, like, a bad guy, draw this. And by the end of the game, you are playing this wholly unique 2D game that is entirely created by you. That's cool. Um Retro Game Challenge is another great DS game. It was based on uh, Game Center CX, which was a uh, the forebear of Japanese uh, of Let's Play channels. Uh, it's I still once in a while when I'm like deeply nostalgic will watch Game Center CX, but uh, the American version was called Retro Game Challenge, in which it was basically a mini game collection of old 8-bit Famicom games that never existed. So to get through the game, you would have to play like old school platformers and RPGs and racing games, all in the style of classic Famicom games. And it was like super addictive, sunk hours into this. The DS was my gaming console this time around. And as many family members have attested, I could only get a Coral Pink version. And so in order for it to seem (laughs) cool, I wrote the word knives in a red marker on top of it to let people know. That I was not some namby-pamby girl gamer. I uh, definitely got into all that stuff years later when I got a 3DS. And that was the same year that awesome Zelda game came out on the 3DS. And I would go back and get into most of the games that you mentioned. And really super loved them. Uh, but for me, and, and what's funny is for, for a lot of this stuff, I'm still not really, now that I think about it, I'm still not really playing, playing video games. Like, I'm just seeing other people experience them. I even think probably Bioshock happened for me in 08, 09 maybe, when uh, different roommates moved in who had consoles. But I will say, I think one of the most important games of this year, in my opinion, was Super Mario Galaxy. And I think that's because for the first time in a long time, I felt like, that entry in the franchise was the most like Mario 64 in terms of what it did for the franchise. I think it renewed Mario in such a magical, amazing way. 
Mario was this big, just mystifying, amazing thing again. What they did with the gravity stuff in that game, with the the planets, with the just the flow of the game. I mean, it was just so addictive because it just never seemed to stop. And you were just constantly moving forward, constantly do on to the next puzzle, the next thing. And it just was the most jo- one of the most joyous gaming experiences I think I've ever had. That was like in that Tony Hawk kind of way in the sense that it just feels like it was made for you to enjoy the shit out of it and purely and nothing else, at least until you got to the later parts of the game where you, if you wanted 100% it and unlock oh, yeah. Luigi and all that kind of stuff, then the game got super difficult, but that's the Nintendo way, right? And that also was really cool that that it had that depth to it and of challenge and everything, but that game just was such a joy to play. One of the most legendary soundtracks of all time with the full orchestration uh, music, just yeah. insane. Like, I... People still use tracks from that soundtrack to like denote championship gaming. Because a lot of these are establishing what will later be amazing video games in a franchise. But I think Mario Galaxy and Bioshock just stand on their own as they were the first one and arguably the best one. Even though Mario Galaxy 2 is awesome. But Assassin's Creed, uh, Mass Effect, I think you could put in that category. Even Rock Band, because I think Rock Band 2 is a bit stronger, as well as the different side ones. I loved Rock Band Beatles. That was when I got really into rock band, uh, you know, and then also Uncharted, I would put in the category of this is this first game in a franchise and it and it just sets up what will become incredible with Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 4, 3, probably uh, not quite as as but still a great game. And and I think the same can be said about The Witcher. The Witcher was like, unless you were really into it. You were, you were, you know, this just established what later with Witcher 2 and, and of course, Witcher 3 even more so. Just inc- an incredible pedigree of, of video um, games. Someday I hope to own a computer that will run Crisis, but God, you know, inshallah, someday I'll be able to do it. Um, and Portal made gaming twee again, which was good yes. and bad. Portal was also like, let's re-examine what we can do with physics and we can really do a lot of cool shit with physics, and this is how. And yes, it also had that humor, and brought, I mean, brought in this whole internet culture that would later become really annoying with the cake and everything like that. But what an incredible, and and of course with the orange box, just establishing Half Life and Team Fortress and Portal, and establishing Valve as just this massively popular thing in video gaming. I would also say, what was the and, and T, can you speak towards Team Fortress Two? I feel like I I need to turn in my nerd card because I never fucked with Team Team Fortress Two. Uh, Team Fortress Two uh, is one of the most long lived, consistently played multiplayer games of all time, right alongside uh, Counter Strike. And the way that they brought the game back with this very unique Art Deco art style, this kind of uh, cartoony aesthetic that uh, has since influenced an entire, like, uh, especially in the mobile era, it was a way to, like, overcome a limited budget through, like, actual art direction and charm and create something appealing, something that ages incredibly well, whereas stuff like Assassin's Creed 1 and Crisis that were going for ultimate reality has But it's also, it's also just team sports game. I mean, it's yeah. maybe pre-MOBA, essentially, uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we wouldn't have Overwatch. We wouldn't have so many hero-based shooters and uh, other multiplayer games if it wasn't for uh, what yeah, I guess Team Fortress 2 solidified. I should say, like, shooter MOBA, because yeah. that's not 
to say League of Legends and stuff, but I'm thinking more about Overwatch. Like we wouldn't have, yeah, Overwatch. you know, the heavy, the healer, the you know, the very idea that you like team up your tank and your healer. Uh, it was like a a, bro, a bold new strategy that people were going crazy over because it was that new. This was such a huge year for video games. We are 25 minutes in and we haven't even talked right, about gotta go movies. movies or we TV. Gotta do how, movies. How, but just how amazing. Number though. one, the B movie, Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> changing lives. <laughs> but I, I do just want to say like how incredible of a, and I even saw a article headline, was 2007 the best year in video games? Like that is insane. That pedigree is unbelievable. But uh, yeah, let's talk about it. What I mean, I don't even know. I'm So far I haven't seen a movie. Okay, Simpsons the movie. I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, in 2007. So these are, I looked up the top grossing movies for uh, 2007. Uh, number one, Pirates of the Caribbean, whatever. The Johnny Depp, we like him, not really anymore. Uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, uh, which again, can't uh, can't talk about it. Um, Is this the first Transformers? Yes. The first Transformers to come out. You know, Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man ah. 3, the greatest, like, holy shit disappointment in the, and quite some, at least up until that point. Up until that point, for comic book movie fans, it was, like, pretty triumphant. We had gotten, you know, Blade, we had gotten X-Men, we had gotten the first two Spider-Man movies, and here comes the, Spider-Man 2 was so legendarily good. People loved Spider-Man 2 so much. And here comes Spider-Man 3, and it's going to have fucking Venom in it. Everyone's going nuts. And then we all sit down and watched it, and we're irrevocably shooken by what a weird mess of a movie it is. I think I was already kind of over it when that came out, because I don't even remember. I don't think I saw it in the theater. The big disappointment for me was actually uh, the Darjeeling Limited was the first Wes Anderson <laughs> film. I had so much hype for that movie, I'm such a huge Wes Anderson fan, and it came out and it was literally it was the very first time I was like, oh wow, I that's a Wes Anderson movie I don't think I like. And that was very bizarre. It just felt very it just felt like it wasn't going any. It just felt very ambling. Mm-hmm. You know? And I and that's the only Wes Anderson movie I don't super care for and I still think there's stuff in it to like, but it just didn't feel like it had any it didn't feel like it had focus. This is a year for me, Jake, where I think I was really soaking in the fact that in, in being in New York City it was very easy to get to a movie theater. Mm-hmm. So I do I do have quite a few movie theater experiences. A big one for me that I, I really liked, I wonder if I'd still like it going back if I think it was too pretentious, is I'm Not There, the Bob Dylan movie where all the different actors play Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I remember I saw that at the film Forum. Right. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, right? Great film. Uh, similar feelings because there was a indie movie theater, an independent art house theater in D.C., that I would go out of my way to go to around this yeah, time. Yeah, it was it was really exciting for me being in New York because the, I didn't I, I had one art house movie in Charlotte, and I don't even know if we had I don't know what we had in Tallahassee. So to to have uh, the four fart house movies, which were uh, like they were just like real <laughs> stinky comedies with lots of like, boobs in them. Yeah, and a guy picking a fight with you the entire time. <laughs> yeah, we what was the Angelica to? We it was like man, take your pick. You have so many little movie theaters that are only running a couple movies and they're movies that you might not have ever heard of. And so I remember that was, it was like a big year for the indie a little bit in, in certain ways. I, I, uh, it was also a big, big year for movies that like came out of nowhere that I super loved death at a funeral. The British, uh, dark comedy was great. You had, you had the mist came out of nowhere and was awesome. 
I one of the people were screaming in the theaters in the theater when I saw it. I wish I had seen that in the theater. Oh, that's still one of the most legendary endings in the history of film. Um, so there's some great movies this year. All-time yes. classics. We have No Country for Old Men. Oh, that was this year? There that was Will Be year. Blood? There Will Be Blood was this year. Um, it was. Uh, I don't see it. What? I saw, wait. No, 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 you're right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. I would have hated to have uh, hallucinated Daniel Day-Lewis. Ed surprised me with tickets to see There Will Be Blood on my birthday, and I think it released on my birthday, December 28th. It was like one of those right at the end of the year, just in time for Oscar season movies, and it blew my mind. And it is one of those things where I think everybody associates those two movies together because they have a similar vibe to them. But also, just seeing No Country for Old Men in the movie theater, what a what a mind-blowing, amazing experience. That movie is like perfect to me. It's real. It's honest. Okay, so this is a good year for serious uh, tough dude movies or yeah. a somber tough dude. Somber tough dudes with No Country for Old Men. With There Will Be Blood. Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen. Uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. If you were a yes. tough hombre, but you were also kind of sad, this was the year for you. Even in sci-fi with The Mist and Sunshine, which I loved. Mm. Sunshine's great. Sunshine is like three different movies in one. It goes from action adventure to sci-fi to uh, uh, to like deep sci-fi to like horror. It's so good. I super. But you're right. It is totally the year for like gruffy kind of. I think. The, well, this is the year. Where are we at? The this is the year where we're really starting to look at the business in this country. The the connection of of business and death. In this country, for some reason, like it's all capitalism is as an evil force, like the effects of the full effects of 9-11 have finally we're actually like reacting to those. I feel like at this point, uh, the 2008 recession hasn't happened quite yet, but I think ooh, I think that's actually a big part of it is that the recession hasn't quite hit yet. Yes. Um, the uh, end we're right before the writer's strike, which uh, will make 2008 a real questionable year. But uh, also, this is a great year for comedies. Uh, we have Hot Fuzz, uh, Knocked mm. Up, and Super Bad, and Walk Hard: The Dewey Cox Story. So, like, I loved Walk Hard. It's so good. Just what about our dreams? I keep telling you, we can't live in a candy house. If it rains, <laughs> it'll melt. Um, Aqua Teen too. The Aqua Teen movie as well came out. And so for oh, uh, adding to uh, gruff, uh, serious man dramas, Michael Clayton. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he, okay, here's some what the fuck entities. Uh, the Nicolas Cage Ghost Rider. That's 2007. Uh, Jim Carrey's weird uh, thriller movie, The Number 23, where, get this, the number 23 is evil and out to get him. Uh, Uwe Boll's Postal, which is one of the most noxiously uh, jackassic of a movie you can possibly make, where, like, there's like pedophilia jokes and Osama bin Laden, and then the director himself shows up as a bad guy. Giant insane thing. Um, the Rise of the Silver Surfer, which is a weird ass movie for anything to do. Uh, famously, uh, Galactus is just a big dumb storm cloud in that movie, and it's a hard, it's bad. Uh, B movie can't stop talking the praises. There's a reason why an entire generation was scarred. It's like the most over the top DreamWorks movie ever made because uh-huh. it is so celebrity focused and like you know there's a courtroom scene with Ray Liotta and Renee Zellweger falls in love with a bee there was a live action underdog movie 
the Zemeckis CGI Beowulf movie with the fucking naked Angelina Jolie in it. Uh, insane movies all around. God, it's just all over the place in terms of quality with movies. I, I'm going to say, though, you you made it sound like this was like a, a bad year for movies. This is, I think, a phenomenal year for film. I loved No Country, There Will Be Blood. Loved The Assassination of Jesse James. The, the, there's movies I would discover later, like The Mist and Sunshine. I already mentioned this was the year of Grindhouse. I loved uh, Death Proof. Is definitely, in my opinion, not uh, Tarantino's best. In fact, I agree with him that it's his worst. But uh, the Robert Rodriguez film in Grindhouse was phenomenal. With um, what fucking what was it called? Planet? What? It was whatever. What? Oh, uh, huh? Planet Terror. Thank you, Lexi. Uh, Lexi, see, I gotta, I got, I can do it too, Jake. Lexi, what was the name of the movie? It doesn't. It's not as good. It's uh, not as charming. Okay, uh, in terms of documentaries, we have uh, the Michael Moore uh, Sicko, which was, I think, his last, like, uh, truly inarguable, like, yeah, the one that everyone can watch and he didn't, like, get too out there. Uh, the King of Kong, which is one of my favorite documentaries of all time. Awesome documentary. Dude, this is a great year for movies, man. Crazy Love Rules. Oh, my God, Crazy Love. About the uh, the guy who threw acid on the woman's face and they later got together. I, it's such a good documentary. It's so insane. It's so full of twists and turns. I'm saying it's, but then you also my have. My kid could paint that. That was a good one. But then you have Good Luck Chuck, and like, uh, I mean, every year's gonna have its shit films, but I think the standouts are standouts. Even Disney's cracking it open a little bit more with uh, Enchanted. You also have Ratatouille this year, to, to so they're even having a pretty good year at this point. And I just remember for like Oscar season, Savages was really good with um, what's his name? Who's dead? Uh, why am I Capote? Why am I drawing so many blanks today? Nothing. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Thank you. He likes like screaming. Atonement I enjoyed before The Devil Knows You're Dead. I enjoyed Big Year for Philip Seymour Hoffman. Actually, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly was big. Blades um, of Glory, not as Eastern good. Eastern Promises. Like, just, I think this, and Control about Joy Division was fantastic. I think this was a banger year for, like, everything. And then Knocked Up, essentially... Brought, I mean, I guess we had 40-year-old version by this point, so we cemented this new era of, like, Apatow comedy. Uh, you also had Juno um, this year All right, as so well. I, I guess I was too uh, overwhelmed by the swerves. I was... By the shittiness, yeah, by, like, the bad, the things that give the movies this year a bad name. Yeah, I think... I agree. I, and I agree, there's some fucking trash movies, uh, for sure, that came out this year. But, uh, yeah. Do you have anything else on movies? I wanted to talk about TV just real quick. Uh, no, let's hit TV real quick. Uh, oh, uh, in music, we had uh, Beyonce, Rihanna, and Fergie oh, nice. dominating the charts. Big Girls nice. Don't Cry, Umbrella. Um, and uh, don't worry, guys. Rock and roll isn't dead because Hey There, Delilah by the Plain White Tees <laughs> cracked in at number seven. Yeah, that's uh, that's when that sti- specific <laughs> style of pop was just everywhere. Umbrella was everywhere. I will just say about movie, uh, TV, I think that, you know, Sopranos made a case for prestige TV. I mm. think Mad Men coming out this year institute like made it an institution, made yeah. prestige TV, cemented it as a gold standard that all networks were then on trying to recapture with big deal, hour-long, super dramatic, like, 
very well shot, like mini movie prestige television. I think that really was established with Mad Men. Mm-hmm. Besides that, it's pretty much the main thing I wanted to call out. Did Big Bang Theory start in 07? Uh, uh, if that's what it says. And then that established that, which is whatever, but whatever it is, you know, t- a massively popular stupid thing that I hate. And yeah, that's pretty much, that. that's the main one I wanted to talk about. It's just that, wow, the ch- ch- TV changed in this big way. Fly the Concords, though, and Tim and Eric Awesome Show doing oh, some really cool so stuff good. in comedy. Like that, that was definitely, there was some game, it was a game changer year for like everything almost. Yeah. Movies, movies were, were just cruising right along. I don't know if they established anything new other than uh, some tonal stuff, tonal shifts in general. You know what it is? We definitely, we shook off the cobwebs of early 2000s culture where like, you know, uh, reality shows were hot and new and, uh, you know, we had all this like post George W. Bush like weirdness. Yes. And now we're entering something a little more familiar. Like, you know, the world as we know it is a little bit uh, like we're, we're it's kind of we're less in the, the things that we still enjoy. You know, we're still playing uh, Call of Duty games. We're still uh, playing Assassin's Creed. We're still watching Prestige TV. A lot yeah. of things are cementing into yes. place. All right. There you have it. I I really thought this was a fascinating one at 2007, actually. This is a great year for fucking video games, man. It's really cool to look back on this. And remember where I was at, struggling in New York City, still trying to figure it out, just starting to break into the comedy scene in New York, like barely, really just getting me... Honestly, same kind of thing, establishing a lot of friendships that would uh, live on for years and years and years after that. I know, was going to special. open mics and drinking way too many Magic Hat number nines. Remember Magic <laughs> Hat number nine? Yes. That was a two thousands beer. Yep, that <laughs> super was. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. And I literally got on. I've been in uh, Los Angeles looking for an apartment at the height of the epidemic here, which has been like moving on hard mode. Um, I've been running around all over the place. We got a spot. Hey. Everything's cool. Um, and I literally just been doing so much that I, li- I was just like, Jake, what are we doing today? And then Jake was like, we are super doing the year that was 2008. And I was like, cool, because I love these. <laughs> We're going back to the past. It's going to be a real blast. We're going back to 2008. I mean, look, uh, we've got some really interesting stuff here. Let- let's get into it. Starting with video games, I mean, immediately the first game on the list is my number one game from this year, probably, which would be Grand Theft Auto 4. Uh, I still don't really have a console at this point. I am um, living, I'm now living in Williamsburg um, for a couple years. I think maybe I'm living with Carly and Ed at this point. I don't know if Ben Kissel has moved in yet. Uh, I don't think Kephart has moved in because Kep was the one who brought games back into my life in a big way. He, he moved in with a Wii. He got like an Xbox 360. While I, I think he got all three consoles eventually just at some point in me living there and through him, I got to play a lot of games. So I don't think I got to this game until maybe even after 2008. But Grand Theft Auto 4, I just remember remember being in New York. This game was about to drop a fucking game, like my favorite game series set in the city I just moved to a couple years ago. And uh, and those giant GTA 4 posters like down yeah. in like Chinatown. And um, I wonder if I was temping at Getty Images by this point because I remember seeing <laughs> like like – that was such a big part of the New York kind of life during that time was like the GTA 4's presence in advertising. Well, because this was still when Rockstar was based out of New York and had just this huge like New York attitude. Yeah, I loved, you know, people in hindsight, I think, uh, or maybe it didn't get a great reaction at first 
or something like that. I forget. What was the vibe on GTA 4? It wasn't like just totally enthusiastic. 4, I think, to this day, 4 is kind of this weird dark horse in the franchise because there's like, people obviously were like down with the graphical upgrade because this is the first like new engine thing since uh, everything up until that point. I'm not counting Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2. Like Grand Theft Auto 3, Vice City, San Andreas were all off this PS2 based architecture. And this was the next gen, and people were kind of going crazy for that. But the uh, real heavy emphasis on like movie style storytelling, the um, the just like preponderance of like, hey, Nico, my cousin, memes were everywhere. Like, there's just something about the Nico story where he's this like recovering, what is it, like Balkan era like soldier who's like trying to make it in New York City. Or Liberty City or whatever it works in this like way. Uh-huh. That like it was and I know it's sold like gangbusters. We did a whole episode about it. Like it sold well, but it didn't sure. have this kind of total saturation that I think the Grand Theft Auto Five has had. It also broke from obviously they they numbered it, so they were trying to say, hey, this is gonna be different. It broke away from some of the comedy and cartoonishness of the uh, of like three Vice City and San Andreas. And I think they kind of took that as far as they could take it. And it still obviously has comedy and things like that, but it's a much more dark and gritty GTA, or much more like it's it's an adult GTA in a sense, right? It's like everybody's grown a little bit older. All the kids who got really into it in like high school and college are now adults. Right. And I think they tried to speak towards that group of people. And uh, I mean, again, for me, it was like perfect timing because I just got to New York. This is trying to be a little bit more of a realistic New York Um that's always a fun thing about, by the way, moving to New York City is like Spider-Man, <laughs> Grand Theft Auto 4. Like you have so many games set in the city you live in. So getting to explore them in a digital way is like always so fun, especially when your real life is full of just nightmares and um, horrors in real life New York. You know, when you're just a broke, struggling person in his early 20s. Just cockroaches and PBR. That's it. That's your life. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. I have 40s for me. 40s of Bud. Oh. Was my uh, was my poison? I think around this time or tall boys, um, but either way, I would kill for a forty of old English to this day. I just, I mean, it's pretty fun. It's great. Yeah, there's uh, the other big, I think, uh, release in terms of like open world adventure shit was uh, Fallout Three. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Marcus's favorite game. We've talked. About, I think did we do the Fallout episode with Marcus? I mean, this is like we did a his weird thing where shit. we like. Basically did an extra long gush session with Marcus, then talked about... It is set in Texas, right? If I remember correctly, I think that wasn't that a big part of it speaking to him, or am I wrong? Is it somewhere else? Uh, I can't remember. No, no, no. Fallout 3 is the capital wasteland. Oh, okay. You're in, like, Washington, D.C. Gotcha. Well, either way, this game really spoke to Marcus in a huge way. It really wasn't, like, my game. I remember, at least now now I love it, but... I remember actually, now that I think about it, maybe I was living with Kephart by this time because I do remember him having this game and me playing until I left the vault. And then I just like, I just didn't understand this game play. So I, I clearly went in the wrong direction. I encountered like a guy breaking like windows on a car. He immediately killed me. <laughs> and then I respawned at like the vault or whatever. And I was like, I have no idea where to go. It seems like this is just so. It, just, it it felt like it was some like way difficult game when really I just needed to like follow the signage and go to what is it called? Um, what's the first town? Go to um, oh, Nuke Town, right? Nuke Town, yeah. 
where you have the first major moral conundrum of the series, which is uh, help the town or kill everyone for no reason <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, it's. I um, definitely uh, just didn't understand, didn't get it at the time, and then I think I got it later with Skyrim. Uh, unfortunately, I tried to go back and play Fallout 3 but on PC, but it crashes like constantly. On P- <laughs> It's like not a great version on there. So I've still never really gotten the full Fallout 3 experience, but I definitely respect it for what it was. Were you playing either of these games? Uh, honest to God, no. This is actually a very weird period in my relation to video games. And Same looking at this me. list, I was trying to put my uh, finger on it. And it, the fact is, I... Just like got out of college, I landed a job at like a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., which is yeah. what you do when you graduate from GW. And um, all of my friends had consoles and I would be hanging out at their places and playing tons of Left 4 Dead, Mario Kart Wii, watching like the 40 minute uh, cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid 4, yeah. Gears of War 2, all this shit. Um and at home, I just had, like, my same laptop from college. I could barely run anything. But, and this is the fucked up thing, I spent hours and hours and hours on, uh, oddly enough, calling back our recent Rooster Teeth episode, uh, GameTrailers.com, ScrewAttack.com, uh, IGN.com, yes. GameSpy.com. I was devouring games-based fucking information even though i wasn't playing anything and didn't own anything i could play them so like here's just like four 2000s era gamer culture there are tons of hallmarks there's mirror's edge there's uh yeah far cry 2 spore remember when spore was a big deal i do it was a massive disappointment (laughs) uh braid world of goo uh all these like Weird movers and shakers in the gaming culture as gaming culture. Yeah. But I never touched any of them. Well, I want to go back and talk about it. A lot of because a lot of these I went back and played after the fact. Braid is a great example of that, as well as Mirror's Edge. These are games when I finally eventually got an Xbox 360. I did pick up and play those games. I mean, Braid did Braid come out before Fez or any of it? I mean, is this not the first big indie game that kind of changed the landscape of the you know that, that created the phenomenon of the indie game i feel i don't i don't know that there's much before like has journey hit yet um it seems like it was on the forefront of you know the super meat boys and the the um fez and all that kind of stuff of the world i think braid was like the first one to really like make waves i know indie game the yeah fez was 2012 super meat boy was 2010 uh when was indie game the movie that was like kind of the weird i don't know but I, yeah every i just realized every game i mentioned was in indie game the movie and featured but i'm not just going off of that one movie but those really were the the big bangs of the indie video game movement and that movie kind of pulled it all together and is pretty good watch i think it's still on netflix but Either way, uh, yeah, games that I definitely went back to. First of all, I never played Metal Gear Solid 4, which was a crazy huge deal that I never played that. That is such a weird game. I, I watched a, I think I watched the Giant Bomb let's <laughs> kind of Let's Play version of, and that was a lot of fun to watch. And, and it was just one of those that's just like, yep, Metal Gear Solid's still doing weird shit. I distinctly remember, because, again, I was inhaling video game website content, like, going to my friend's house excitedly because he had a PlayStation 3 and, like, making weed spaghetti and eating it and being like, oh, boy, I can't wait to see the dynamic 
a soldier uh, identity system or whatever weird Kojima-esque like immersive feature that yeah. I had read about and cut to just endless cutscenes and like really just like weird off-putting dialogue and just being like, yeah, Aw. just very bizarre. And I mean, this. I mean, I also feel like you know, Mirror's Edge was really cool looking, but um, maybe at the end of the day, it wasn't the best like video game. I think people do love it. I did enjoy it, but it did feel like kind of a little short, and maybe like they they didn't have enough to run on for that one. <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest games for for me that specific year was uh, Star Wars Force Un- Force Unleashed. Me and my whole friend group just loved Force Unleashed. Uh, the uh, you know, and, and it used the Wii controllers in a fun way. We're still this is still in an era where we're trying to do fun stuff with the uh, with those Wiimotes and and would get really excited about like a new game that featured the Wiimotes. Uh, in a fun way. Left 4 Dead came out in 2008. Yeah. So much fun playing that uh, co-op with my other friends. Uh, I'm shocked it came out. I, I thought it came out earlier than that. That's, that's I mean, cool. between Left, I mean, Left 4 Dead 2 came out pretty shortly afterwards, and then the mod scene has just kept it viable for so long. Yeah. Like, um, Dead Space, we did a whole episode about, a welcome edition. Uh, again, a game I maybe didn't play in 2008. I may, it may have gotten to it uh, in 2009, but one of the scariest games I've ever played, personally, it, it totally freaked me out. Definitely the type of game I tried to play it with the lights off, kind of like with Bioshock, and I was like, actually, we're going to do this in the middle of the day because I cannot take this. I, I loved the the um, the way that it, it, the cinematic way in which it the camera moved and in which it did just all the stuff with the upgrade systems, everything, everything just felt like embedded into the game in a smart way. This, you know, the, and and then of course just like the way that you went after enemies. I think it was like one of the first games was like actually you take these enemies down better if you shoot the limbs, not the head. That was really smart, and uh, yeah, just through and through was, was just thrilled with with Dead Space. I think that that and um, GTA 4 and like Force Unleashed, Force Unleashed, Force Unleashed were. I think my big games around this time, uh, for sure. What's interesting to see is there's a lot of like awkward sequels and kind yeah. of formative missteps in a yeah. lot of big franchises. So like we got uh, Animal Crossing City Folk, which a lot of people like just did not gel with from the Animal Crossing community. Uh-huh. Uh, Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe, which was still kind of uh, Mortal Kombat's years in the wilderness before they kind of like came together with Mortal Kombat 9 and Mortal Kombat X. Gears of War uh, 2 is a strong sequel. That goes in that category. Strong sequel, but Crash Bandicoot Mind Over Mutant has yeah. been forgotten to time, and Tomb Raider Underworld is kind of a punchline. Yeah. Even Devil May Cry 4, which I know diehard Devil May Cry fans actually love, just kind of killed the franchise for a little bit because it wasn't yeah. received well. I know. Also, I, the shout-outs, though, to a, another strong sequel, Rock Band 2, was was a solid <laughs> act. I mean, it was. Saints Row 2 is, was still... Actually, yeah, Saints Row 2 kind of falls in the awkward sequel category, I feel like, as well. I feel like the third one is when they actually found their groove, just like Far Cry 2, where they're still kind of reaching... People love Far Cry 2, but you have to I think you have to be a certain kind of gamer to like love that. You know what I mean? You have to love very different, very strange experiences. Far Cry like, 2 had like a very brutal kind of um yeah. survive it's a very survival-y game at, yeah. at this point. It's like it's not so much like survivalistic because couldn't you you could get like a disease, right? And like you just start you dying. Could, to play the game from with like on a morally good pathway was just a horrendous like clenched teeth battle to the death. Yeah. It was not an empowering shoot 'em up. 
an- another one of my favorite games this year was on the Wii. I was obsessed with this game. I think we're headed into my weird unemployment year, by the way. If it wasn't this year, it's next year. I think we're headed to my weird... Because World of Goo was a weird unemployment game as well. I, like, 100%ed it and just, like, lost days to it because I was just using it as an excuse to not, like, look for a job. But Boom Blocks. I love Boom Blocks. Steven Spielberg's own Boom Blocks. Surprisingly great game. Just a really cool physics game. You're, like... And another great use of the Wiimote. You're, like, lobbing uh, balls or whatever it is at, at, like, big big block structures trying to cause as much damage as possible but there are all these different types of game types in it and just so much fun stuff to do single player as well as multiplayer so i mean i like really love i love those like simple physics experiment games if they can gamify it well enough i just fall fall in world of goo is the same thing honestly because that's the game where you're creating structures with those like goo balls to try to like d- achieve different goals and that is another just simple physics game that you just can totally lose hours to uh, I want to jump over to uh, movies because this is, who boy, awesome. a really weird ass year for movies. I know I said that last time, but well, one last mm. thing, I have to give it a shout out because we have spent all last week researching it. Fable Two came out this year, which was the <laughs> solid follow up to Fable One that I now know about because I did that episode. All right, let's do movies, and I'm I'm excited. You're excited. Oh, I mean, The Dark Knight. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, here's the overarching theme. I'm just going to give it up immediately is there's a lot of like uh, kind of awkward, like failed attempts to like figure out what movies are going to be in the next couple of years. But the two hits which carried over to our current day is Dark Knight and Iron Man both came out. Okay. Okay. I saw there was an Iron Man video game. So I was wondering if Iron Man was this year. So Marvel and DC both kind of picked their sides. DC wow. with the big budget, like kind of dark energy. Marvel with the snarky, likable, uh, you know, uh, actor, leading man focused movies. But then in the background, we have like huge missteps like Ang Lee's Incredible Hulk and like uh, uh, Jumper starring Hayden Christensen, like just really bad attempts at superhero movies that just kind of that's a uh, Punisher Warzone also came out, which is amazing, but also a misstep and not quite what people wanted. Um, God, Warzone's so good. So like, oh, and uh, the Wachowskis released Speed, their Speed Racer. Again, another kind of swing. Oh God, that came out in 2008. Yeah. Another swing at what a comic book, uh, cartoon, anime kind of movie should be. And that failed. Um, also, stuff like uh, the day the Earth stood still, which was kind of this return to like Roland Emmerich, I you know Independence Day style disaster movies, failed at the box office. Ten thousand BC, which was this over expensive like historical epic, failed. Like there's all these big like whiffs that go down, and standing atop this pile are these two movies that basically just defined the next. 12 years and now at this point more uh yeah that is really kind of amazing that i I didn't even think of it like that that dark knight and iron man come out in the same year and really do set the course for the next several years of what would become and none of us knew by the way that superhero Mm -hmm. movies were going to become what they became this year uh in this year by the way too i mean iron man was a surprise dark knight was not necessarily a total surprise but you know there was a lot of lead up to that and and it uh obviously just 
more than delivered, which I think is what exploded everything open with those two movies. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I do love how chaotic this year movies is. Let's give it up to one of, uh, is known as one of the worst movies of all time. And, of course, I'm talking about The Happening came out this year. Wow. Which is fantastic. Uh, sealing M. Night Shyamalan, I think, at this point, uh, as being a maybe not as great director as we originally thought. He's still thought. clawing his way out. Yeah. He is still clawing his way out. I mean, I mean, he's still also, though, relying on this weird, dumb gimmick that was in the first film he made that he decided needed to be in every movie he made with like some weird, dumb twist ending. And this one was the worst of them all. Uh, with Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, too, was killing it. I think this did actually have an effect on his career, even, this movie. And Zoe Deschanel, I believe. And, uh, man, it's just... Uh, what was the reason why they're all committing suicide against uh, the trees? The tree... Plants. Plants. Plants have rebelled against um, yeah. humanity. Uh, speaking of uh, <laughs> Speaking of weirdness, this is maybe one of the worst years in comedies I have ever witnessed. Let me just so okay. right off the bat, the uh, this is the reign of the shitty uh, parody movies. Oh yeah, disaster movie I'm seeing right disaster here. movie superhero movie Meet the Spartans, and like these movies are so bad. These yeah. movies are terrible. They're making me hate comedy. Like this is making me wonder if I should have ever tried comedy. The guys behind these movies like literally admitted they would just watch the trailers for upcoming movies write a joke or not even a joke just like have a dumb reference where like someone shows up and just says a line from the trailer just to like that's how with no understanding of what was popular or not and then when they cut the movie together it would act like they were these prescient people that knew all these references by the time their movie came out and it's just so fucking shitty by the way just to lump it all together with the bad comedies. And then you also have both The Love Guru and Don't Mess with the Zohan. Zohan. Two 90s titans. Fucking yes. Mike Myers and Adam Sandler. The the fucking god kings of 90s yuckamups just falling flat on their dicks. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, I mean, some people actually like say like, actually, I like Don't Mess with Zohan. Um, I, I think it's one of those movies where the very beginning of it shows a lot of promise and is actually quite funny. And then it just it slowly just evolves into whatever territory. And I will stand by that assessment. Um, and then, if, uh, yeah, it was kind of also funny, I guess, Rain Wilson's misstep with the rocker. I believe that was a misstep for him. Uh, mm. That all kind of lumps in. These kind of like leading my, white dude man character films that are all and honestly, all, all three of the covers of these movies kind of look the same. Which is very funny. They're holding their hands up in a different way and looking at the um, camera with their like eyebrow up. It is kind of amazing. Like they're all the same. They might as well be the same movie. Um, was Baby Mama good? The Tina Fey Amy Poehler uh, joint. Uh, I have not heard anything about it Me since neither. this conversation and since it came out. So probably not. And I'm guessing Semi Pro su- kind of sucked as well. I feel like this is the first time Will Ferrell. That's Will Ferrell, right? With Semi Pro. I guess okay. no. I was, was going to say that's the first time he he's starting to misstep a little bit, but actually, Step Brothers comes out and everybody fucking adored. So I, I, mean, I loved it too. I saw it in the theater. There's a couple of good ones, but it's uh, clearly where the wind is blowing. So 
Stepbrothers and Role Models are both hit comedies this time around. Yes, and I really enjoyed Role Models too. And that was, of course, directed by David Wayne from um, from uh, the States. Stella. And, I, and and I feel like it was one of it was like kind of his first big movie that said like, "Hey, I can be a, a absolute professional director and put together like a really tr- more traditional." Because I think he also did Wet Hot American Summer, but this was the first time he was like, "I can make big boy movies too and make a ton of yeah. money in the box office." Yeah, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a very weird. Also, why is Marley and Me listed as a comedy? That is not, not a comedy. Oh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. So yeah, there's I just love a changing of the Sarah gun. Marshall. I love forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, I didn't see it uh, when it came out. I saw it uh, much later, as as apparently I do with everything now because I, I feel like I'm a broken record with that. But Mar- forgetting Sarah Marshall, great breakup movie, man. Such a funny movie, and I also really loved uh, House Bunny. Was great, and Anna Ferris is really starting to step out as like a big big force in in comedy. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I just saw. Oh shit! God damn it! The way the Google list like l- makes all these movies come out. Tropic Thunder also came out. So what oh. we're seeing is it's just like the superhero thing. The changing of the guard is happening. Yeah. We're kind of settling into how things are done. Uh, Mike Myers down. Uh, Tropic Thunder up. It's a great if you're Robert Downey Jr. Congratulations! It's You've it's done- a year of like low lows, but like really high highs. And yes, Robert Downey Jr. Clear. Just this is his. Big fucking year, man. He just, this year, he goes from guy who used to be a big deal and then became like a horrible drug addict and and recovered from that to like the number one fucking name in movies. Like, it's crazy what he did in this year. Um, Anything else that while you're scrolling through that's catching your eye? Hmm, I haven't looked at any animation yet. And at a glance, it doesn't look like there's a lot, huh? The Ponyo came out and that's a great anime film uh besides that this looks like a shit year for uh animated uh films wow the uh two standouts for animation that i'm seeing uh ugh, open season two christ on a crack space chimps <laughs> fucking it's a it's actually like a pretty big year for comedies and like big especially superhero action movies and that's about it uh, Kung Fu Panda came out, which uh, we did a whole episode on, and I think is one of the best CG movies ever made. And Disney released Bolt, which is this very weird yeah, ass I movie. Saw that. With, yeah, it's like John Travolta as a talking dog, but it's Disney's first like uh, major in-house CG movie that like they did outside of Pixar. Besides Meet the Robinsons, we're not talking about Meet the Robinsons. We'll never talk about Meet the Robinsons. Uh, and that set the course that like put in place a lot of the people that ended up making Tangled and Frozen and Moana. It's like it got the ball rolling on Disney's big comeback. Uh, a couple more things moving past uh, animation. Terrible year for animation, it seems. But I will say Hellboy 2 was was, I think, uh, pretty hot this year. And um, oh, I've, I've been meaning to see Repo, the genetic opera that came out this year. Um, people people do say that's quite fun. I will also say Cloverfield came out this year talking about a changing of the guard yet again. Because I really think that was like a big game changer for action blockbusters. It was like our first like kaiju meets found footage film. And that mm-hmm. wasn't that J.J. Abrams? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was Wasn't J. that kind of or... his first big movie that put him on the map? Uh, no, 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 wait. I think, I think this was Cloverfield. It was definitely, it was Bad Robot, which is J.J. Abrams, like, house, uh, you know, production studio. Matt but, Reeves uh, directed it. Okay, never yeah. mind. But he kind of, I mean, uh, you know, he ends up doing a lot of stuff. 
a lot of big stuff. I don't know. That was that was a cool one too. That was. That I was, loved Cloverfield. Yeah. I saw it in the theater. I saw it. I like made a point to sit in the back row so I wouldn't get motion sickness. And I truly loved that movie. Hell yeah, yeah. That th- those are big. I can't believe Tropic Thunder wasn't like the number one first. Like besides Dark Knight, that was such a big big movie that year. Um, what Pineapple Pineapple Express also came out this year. That was I had a lot of fun with that one. Again, a lot of like I saw a lot of comedies in the theater this year, which is really interesting because you were like, man, it was like a shit year for. Oh, uh, documentaries are pretty interesting. I think they're getting like bigger, stronger, faster. That like the the kind of steroids film. Uh, Man on Wire was big this year. I never saw it. I just never I saw, saw it. I saw it in the theater. I saw a lot of movies in the theater. This is when I was with my ex-girlfriend. Everybody was going to movies all the time in New York City. Like, I remember just, I real, I, I think it kind of clicked. I was like, wow, I can really see any movie at any time in the day, like, so easily. And so just saw so many films in the theater um, starting around now. And so Man on Wire, of course, the guy who did the tightrope uh, wire act across the uh, the World Trade Center from tower to tower. It's kind of an insane feat. And it was also kind of like a break in, like a heist movie because they had to like break into the towers and like get to the roof. Really fascinating film. Uh, definitely, I, I definitely uh, recommend. Also, I really loved uh, Gonzo, the Hunter Thompson movie. As a Hunter Thompson lover, you're not going to really learn a lot of stuff. But uh, it's even as for a Thompson lover, I think you'll end up just just having a good time on the ride. And then if you don't know anything about him, it'll 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 give you the rundown. It'll break it down for you. What did you ooh over? Uh, also in the documentaries tab uh, was Waltz with Bashir, which is mm. an incredible kind of hybrid documentary animated movie uh, directed by uh, Ari Fullman, which depicts uh, kind of Ari's attempts to like make sense of what happened during a uh, very kind of uh, gross moment in Israeli military history when they were fighting in Lebanon Um, and like the way that it kind of handles coming to terms with your you know what you did as a soldier the fog of war and like how your memory kind of shifts things and trying to get to the truth years after the fact it's a really effective movie if you've never seen it and want to just like Feel things. Waltz with Bashir is incredible. Man, this might be one of the worst years in horror uh, ever. Oh no! <laughs> it's just bad. I just am not seeing anything that I've ever heard was good. I saw Martyrs came out this year, and that's a movie I will probably never watch. But if you like just absolutely disgusting, horrific horror, um, look no further than Martyrs. Uh, <laughs> I have to. Ch- I see. Let the right one in came out, but I have to double oh, check if well, that's, that's the real one or if that's like the remake. Well, I think the it- remake was named something a little differently oh so then yeah this was if it's uh, let the right in- one in i think that's the one i think the other one's named a little differently uh synecdoche new york came out this year i love uh charlie kaufman but this movie puts me in the like this terrible mood <laughs> it puts me in an awful i never mood. saw it i all i heard was like yeah man you want to feel sad about the futility yeah, of life and i was like feel no an- no i don't anxious and sad <laughs> and like doomed do it's just yeah just doomed <laughs> Just the word doomed, if you ever want to feel that word, look no further than uh, Synecdoche, New York, honestly. Ugh. I, and it's one of those movies, too, where I'm like, this is a great movie that I'm maybe never going to watch again because it just puts me in such a terrible mood. Uh, all right. And Kung Fu Panda. How, well, how dare us? Kung Fu Panda. I, I, I called out Kung Fu Panda. Oh, I mean, okay. It got the love. It got the okay, love. Got um, the love. I, I, I think, think we got to go to movies. television. Oh, and that weird, incredible Hulk. 
Was that the weird one, the Ang Lee one? Yeah, Ang Lee Hulk. Yeah, uh, did you already where mentioned he fights it? mutant poodles? Oh, I mean, honestly, we're we're skipping a whole we're a whole layer because it didn't apply to us. But that first Twilight movie came out, and uh, I did watch Aww. that on stream with Natalie and Jackie, and we will be watching the sequel soon. But uh, honestly, that was a so Twilight. We are in the age that Twilight was fucking massive, huge hit. Uh, all right. Now we've got television, maybe a little music to close it out. Uh, what do you see? We can make this kind of brief because I don't think it's a lot here. Uh, you said there was a writer's strike, right? We should mention that. 2007, uh, November to 2008, uh, like February, the Writers Guild of America went on a giant strike and it had lasting repercussions on uh, a lot of our favorite shows at the time. Uh, I was expecting to see like some really weird... Um, some really weird like reality shows that came out of that mess, but, but I'm not actually, seeing anything too crazy. Actually, we're seeing Breaking Bad. Uh, we're seeing Sons of Anarchy. We're seeing. I'm seeing True Blood. True Blood, of course. My uh, my wife loves True Blood. That was a big one uh, in the in the same similar a more adult vein than uh, Twilight. But yeah, this was the time I was like, what the fuck's going on? Why is there like a vampire and like a sexy vampire and everything right now? Also, uh, and then Sons of Anarchy, I, I don't think it was a big hit necessarily right up top. It eventually does, and it is uh, just a – it's it's one of those shows you can just, like, set your watch to. You know what I mean? It's not going to blow your mind, but it, it's a fun ride, as they say. And then Breaking Bad, which was not the massively popular hit. If this is its first season, it, it really becomes, over time, just the most important show on TV. But it's just a strong first season of a, of a thing that just progressively gets better and better and better. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I'm checking out the uh, top picks for Jake tab, and uh, I'm first one up. We got the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Never saw it. Uh, Fringe. Never saw it. Uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, which had the amazing theme song, but I never watched it. Uh, Spaceballs, the animated series, which we talked about on our Spaceballs yes, episode, which, which is, is terrible. The literal, the worst show ever created in the history of television shows, and I'm including like fucked up reality shows from Japan where they just like skin a man alive as a prank. Um, Star Wars, the clone wars saw it, loved it, kept the franchise alive during the dark period. Good yeah. for them. And uh soul eater, the one shown in anime that I know literally nothing about. Fan. Oh shit. Soul eater and black Butler. Shit. I was just off my anime game. I was just not in the zone. I I just there's some weird stuff. There's delocated the guy. Well, what's his name? Where's the ski mask? Uh, that was a weird one. <laughs> that comedy. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of weird things. Um, and uh, I was just real quick. Let me look at music. Music. Let me see if there was anything just hugely popping. I kissed a girl. Katy Perry's big uh, first uh, oh. big debut. Lil Wayne is a household name right now. Lollipop is that year. Uh, what else? Yeah. Huh. Let's see. Oh, American Boy by Estelle. Pretty much okay. a perennial hit. Never, uh, wow. This is a very interesting, shit. Love shit. Locked. Uh, Kanye West is like a huge, just huge. Single Ladies. I remember that. Being, I, I remember when Single Ladies came out uh, and I was like doing, it was like on the TV at the bar after like a Murderfish show. Uh, at the that nearby bar close to the old pit. Like, I do remember that. Yeah, Lil Wayne, is this the Carter Three? Yeah, that was just a huge, huge year for Lil Wayne. That was kind of his peak was around I'm time. sorry. There is... Uh, th this 2008 belongs to one man and one man alone, and this is the year of Flo Rida. 
apple bottom <laughs> jeans with the uh, boots yeah. with the fur. Yep. And everybody was looking at her. Massively she hit the floor, bottom. Holden. Yeah. Next thing you know, Shorty got low, low, low. Yeah, low, I figure for hip hop in general uh, is what it looks like in terms of just like huge hits and stuff like that. And, wow. And kind of a changing of the guard here as well with Katy Perry kind of replacing like the, you know, Britney Spears has like a. a, a a big song that year, but you know, it's sort of like transitioning to this new era that is like mm-hmm. Katy Perry and the likes, um, Kesha and so forth and so on. So, hello everybody, and welcome to another bonus episode of Wizard and the Bruiser. And today we are doing the year that was 2009. And I was just joking with Jake that now we're moving into the territory of shit that felt like it came out last year, yeah, <laughs> sort of, but it was actually, I guess, over a decade ago. This uh, isn't wistful anymore. Already. This is just like, yeah, you know, last week when uh, Archer premiered. I mean, I think you're gonna, I feel like I always reflect on where I'm at. I think at this point, you're just going to get a basic answer of, I had a day job I hated, and I was cranking away at Murder Fist. I was maybe doing, well, at this point, 2009, I'd probably stopped doing stand-up comedy, um, yeah, for sure, in New York. I was just doing Murder Fist, I think, by this point. But we were getting ingrained in the comedy scene. We may have met by this point. We might. I'm not really sure. I was in New York by 2009, I think. No, wait, maybe 2010. We may have met at the creek by this point. Who knows? It was probably in the next couple years or so, if not this year. It might be a little early for it, but I don't even remember. uh, I guess I was with my last girlfriend during this time. It's kind of hard to say, to be honest with you, but I do remember some of these movies and things coming out. So uh, let's rock and roll. We start with movies or video games? Uh, Let's start with video games. I think we usually start with video games. What were you? Oh, this is a good year. This is actually a. It's an interesting year. Ooh, this is a good year. Interesting, um, interesting, interesting. So we are definitely leading into my weird unemployment year. I think if uh. it wasn't this year, it was next year because I'm looking at oh Beatles rock band. All right, I'm looking at <laughs> Batman. I think my number one at this point was Batman Arkham Asylum. It is one of the few games I hundred percented mm. in the modern era. All the Riddler trophies were yours. I got all the Riddler trophies in this game because they were actually it was actually a reasonable amount of trophies to get. And I will even say I felt a little weird by the end of 100%ing it. Do not do you get the same weird morose feeling at a point when you're 100%ing a game where all you're at the end of it, you've, you've essentially cleaned it out. It's like a husk of a video game. You're more powerful than everything. You've like memorized all the passages. Like the whole game just sort of breaks. And all you're doing is going around and cleaning up like a handful or two of these little collectibles that you have to like solve puzzles for. I am not a, I am not a completionist. I will, if as soon as anything is, that is not necessary for forward progression is frustrating, I do not need it in my life. Yeah. It's a toy. These are toy. These are fancy toys for big boys. And I play it to not feel bad. Usually I see credits and I'm done. But this was a rare moment where I really felt, and I still feel strongly about this game. I really felt like this is a perfect game. It has this mm. fantastic mix of action sequences, uh, action combat with stealth sequences, great story, great voice acting. Every area had its own unique vibe to it, even though it all kept the same general tone in Arkham. And maybe I got a little morose too, because I mean, it is a dark world we're living in here in Arkham Asylum and we are in an insane asylum where you know the nuts have taken over the nut house and but it was very funny to like I I think that convinced me almost to like never try to 100% a game ever again because there's just this odd feeling you get when you love something so much you hug it to death and that's really what happened to me by the end of this game where I was just like 
just mindlessly going through these areas that were once magical and alive are now just like these paper thin spaces because I like I said I've I, I've already been through them I did whatever story thing was in them I've totally mastered every area in terms of like taking people out and stuff and I'm just picking up these really mindless trophies uh by uh scanning certain walls that have things on them or hitting those uh chattering toy teeth don't uh, forget uh spray painting plastic explosives in the shape of the bat symbol yes. because that's that's cool Yes, uh, just doing all this stuff, and 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 I was kind of like sad when I finished it because I was just kind of like that just bummed me out. <laughs> but uh, I w- the only other game since then is Bloodborne. I platinumed Bloodborne, but that had a phenomenal path to platinum. The the game became the whole game like opened up in a different way in those um, dungeons, the Chalice dungeons or whatever. So that that really was cool. But yeah, the, Batman, um... I am now back into video games, dude. And the other game that got me way back into video games, like, oh, I'm actually, I've been denying my gamerdom for a few years now in the name of um, talking to women and mm-hmm. uh, looking cool. And I'm back, baby. And that was, of course, Uncharted 2, which was, again, I feel like Metal Gear Solid came out and I was like, wow, I'm playing a movie. And then you look back and you're like, that's laughable. And then Uncharted 2 came out and you're like, no, now I'm playing a fucking movie. So the thing about Batman Arkham Asylum is it's kind of this like tangential mirror uh, kind of buddy of the birth of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh-huh. Uh, and in a way, like the Spider-Man movies, where for the first time, like comic book fans got what they actually loved about these properties translated successfully into the, another medium in a way that 100%. Like, so like the entire gaming industry they nailed it in every nook and cranny of this game like what the Batman detective is. vision uh is a great kind of like simulation of batman walking into a room and immediately knowing the exact layout of everything and the and the tactical version dude when when the someone... combat the counter mechanic yes where you are just wailing on dudes you and feel then you so hit a badass. different button to just like whack the guy behind you and the mixture of batterings and like doing the cape and doing all these things is exactly how people think you get to fight like Batman, which up until that point was completely like impossible to translate into it. They cracked that point. Oh, wait. And they used the car- the animated series voice cast, but did a dark, gringy, like, um, you know, kind of a little bit edgier uh, version of the universe. So, like, you got the cool, I'm a mature, like, th- these are mature stories for, like, real adults and the fun cartoon voices. So, like, it triangulated almost everything people love about Batman in a coherent video game. It's an incredible achievement. Case in point, uh, the first time I was at a buddy's place, they had it on. I knew I needed to get this game when you could uh, dr- get the drop on someone, attach them to a rope, <laughs> and hang them from a gargoyle, and then wait for another dude to come around and be like, what's that? And then throw a batarang and snap the rope and it fall on the other guy. And it was just like, oh shit, they figured out Batman. Like, this is exactly, yeah. I feel like Batman on every level. And then also it was just like the pacing of it. Like, it just kept moving forward in this fantastic way. And, of course, the the psychedelic, um, uh, the psychedelic the parts scarecrow. with the Scarecrow. And I feel like that had been, they that has been aped so many times in mm-hmm. so many, Far Cry, fucking, every game does it now. Like, it has a psychedelic 
moment where they they found a way to like get the drugs in you and then you mm-hmm. like freak out and ha- you know to the point now where it's like super boring but when in that <laughs> when you go into that you open that room and you're in the like mausoleum or whatever and like you you see your dead parents on the like table it was so amazing it was like legitimately frightening so it like had the fear elements too of batman and the playfulness I agree. Everything just came together in a way that I still think that's the best game. I think people like to say uh, Arkham Knight uh, or, or the Arkham City is the best game, but mm-hmm. I think this was. I think they just killed it with this. I love the small open world, too. It had it felt much more like a Metroid than like a GTA, whereas I think the later games had more of a GTA e-vibe or just like a open world, kind of what, what we know is open world in that sense. But I preferred, and I still kind of prefer, small open world. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, Evil Within 2 was like that, too, where it's like, it, it's open, but it's very concise and very planned out. Anyways, I can't say enough good stuff about it. It is, it is by the way, so many sequels going on this year, but they're all, like, so many of them are awesome. The, uh, we're, like, kind of, the HD era, as it were, is, like, a little, is pretty much, is more mature now than it was previously. Um, we have uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which, like, to this day, the uh, no Russian uh, opening sequence is like still used in memes. This like ripped from the headlines. Oh, thing that was like, this game. Yeah, yeah. You're playing as a terrorist, like attacking cell, just shooting civilians. I definitely. I remember going to my buddy Cena's place. Who does fraudsters on LPN? Check out fraudsters and having him show me the sequence because I'd heard the, yeah. you know because it was such a big. It had, not, it had been a minute since we had a big video game content controversy. Like Mortal Kombat, I think, was maybe the last time. You know what I mean? And no, 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 mm-hmm. probably GTA 3. But this, like, was enough. And, and, and this also brings me back to the War on Terror going mm-hmm. on a lot. Like, we're talking a lot about torture and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I think, a lot in the general conversation. Guantanamo Bay and all that. But yeah, that was, I forgot, uh, or I didn't realize that was the same game. Did you get in, because I think this is the Assassin's Creed that really blew the doors off of that franchise as well. I mean, this is uh, the, uh, what's it, Ezio era. Yeah. So, like, this is definitely a, l- a little bit, I think, influenced by uh, Arkham Knight's kind of combat style. They kind of mix things up a bit. But yeah, this is the Assassin's Creed that everyone cared about. I never quite played it. Um Left 4 Dead 2, I definitely played a ton of uh, just more goodness. They added more creatures and yep. better weapons and uh, Coach. Everybody loves Coach. This is a fun, dumb thing that I'm just, I need to acknowledge that 2009 was the year of uh, dueling superhero third person open world action games with Infamous and Prototype coming out at the yes. same time. Where Infamous, you were Electricity Boy, and in Prototype, you were ooey-gooey, like, Venom bio-gross man. And I remember liking Prototype more, but I can't remember if that's just because that's the one I played more, because that's the one my friend had. This is a lot of a lot of playing video games at other people's houses. Yes! This is the era. 100%. Borderlands. Yeah. Borderlands was the ultimate playing a video game at another person's house game. And again, I first played it at Cena's. I remember my roommate Kep got it, and he and... Our buddy Skulk would play it a lot together on the couch. This was, which essentially was the last big year of couch co-op with Borderlands in a lot of ways with that first Borderlands. Ultimate Alliance 2, which is that top-down Marvel co-op game that uh, was another great accomplishment in translating what people liked about comics to a video game. And Ultimate Alliance 2 was really just about like 
getting all these Marvel characters and getting all their special costumes and all the dialogue that they wrote and the interactions between the characters. And it really did, like, celebrate the Marvel Universe for what it was. Dude, this fucking year is incredible. League of Legends? Dear God, League of Legends. <laughs> oh, This was also the last... I don't even know what to say about League of Legends other than, like, I, mean, I guess it, it came out this year and it's still one of the top most streamed video games on Twitch. One of the most popular games, period. The eSport aspect, the uh, gotcha, you know, the free-to-play uh, business model was completely cracked open and revolutionized in this game. Um, yeah, it's it's literally, it's its own sport. Uh, I Shout out to, uh, I guess this is still the era where Capcom is fucking around and trying to make, like, cool Western versions of their franchises uh, to compete with Western developers. So we have a... Uh, like gritty bionic commando remake with Spencer and his and his arm that is his wife. That's the big reveal in that game. Is that his wife is his arm? Um, I just just that's just a thing that happened in two thousand nine. You're going in so many weird. I'm like, there's so many other I, crazy fundamentally. There's good games. Game there's good games, game. but like in terms of the memes, in terms of the like things that have stuck with gamer culture, Spencer and his wife arm is definitely in there. Um. Trials, uh, the fucking forever uh, motocross time killer started. Um, where was it? Uh, where was it? Oh, Shadow Complex was another big like Xbox Arcade, PlayStation Store, indie-ish, you know, kind of uh, single A uh, release that kind of paved the way for more indie releases. I will say uh, the with Beatles Rock Band and DJ Hero, this really was the final year of massively popular peripheral-based music gaming. Uh, I remember that. Like, DJ Hero came out, and I don't think anyone knew it yet either, but this really was the final big year for that stuff before it totally fell off. And Beatles Rock Band was like, I was so into fucking Beatles Rock Band and played. We would play it. Like I remember I have a memory of a 4th of July party out in Ridgewood with all, all our friends and uh, somebody went to the Blockbuster and rented it because we had a rock band kit and we played it for hours and hours just getting hammered and having a blast. Um, all, I, a big one for me, Bayonetta, even though I wouldn't know it at the time, I would later really super mm -hmm. love Bay the Bayonetta franchise and that really was a return to form. It was kind of picking up where Devil May Cry left off in a really cool, stylish way. Um, I think another thing is, and it's not quite, they're not quite obnoxious yet, but I will say, with Plants vs. Zombies dropping in 2009, we are actually getting into the era of the mobile game. Yes. Being, like, predominant. And, and it kind of bummed me out, and I'm glad that I feel like now mobile gaming has its place, but it didn't do the thing I was afraid it was going to do, which was, like, take over video games completely, because I don't super... You, you enjoy your mobile games. Go for it. I, I prefer... The console gaming experience, the PC gaming experience. So, Ooh, but I, I loved think... Plants vs. Zombies, and the thing I loved most about it is you could pay five dollars and get one complete game that wasn't trying to sell you a bunch of extra shit. You know what I think happened? I think the um, apps, the Apple app, the iOS app store finally opened up in two thousand nine because I am like I'm I'm reeling at all these like forgotten classics that all came out in two thousand nine. Uh, Farmville, I'm not that I played it, but you remember it. Angry Birds, um, yes. Zenbound, which was this game that like everyone had. Uh, Pocket God, which is like this weird ass, like almost it was basically a mini game collection that 
doubled as like this island Tamagotchi thing, and it sold, and it like trillions of people had this thing. Um, Grand Theft Auto had Chinatown Wars, yep. which was this like portable version that kind of harkened back to um, the uh, old school top down games. Yeah, no, I, I'm 90% sure this is the year the iOS store opened up. Because this is like every classic mobile game all came out in 2009. I don't know if it was on mobile yet, but Scribblenauts on the Nintendo DS. Big shout out to that. Such a game changer, I feel like, in such a huge way. How you could type stuff in and make it appear. Uh, One-two punch. I gotta, I, sh- uh, I gotta acknowledge uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, yeah. which was a massive hit on the Wii. Like, everybody yeah. bought this game and kind of like weirded out Nintendo because like, Mario Gal- Galaxy 2 just did not perform anywhere near as well. Oh, really? And it turns out, like, yeah, just, this, you know, they just kept churning out these games after that. And uh, Brutal Legend, which was supposed to be, like, the great Tim Schafer Double Fine Games Return to Glory. Like, this was going to be it for all the old school LucasArts heads who loved, like, cartoony, quirky, challenging games. And just the execution just was just so lacking, like, in terms... People loved the plot. People loved the voice acting by Jack Black. People liked all the cameos from all these old rockers. But, like, in terms of, like, level-to-level gameplay, people just did, were not down with this weird mix of, like, third-person action and RTS that the game was trying to do. There's also, I played the, this is getting into my weird unemployment year, by the way, because uh, Mad World brings back some weird. Oh, fuck. That brings with back Greg some weird middle-of-the-day in my pajamas v- gaming you know, like smoking resin out of a out of my bowl. Like I that just reminds another <laughs> another platinum game. Yeah, and so bizarre. I wouldn't get to Bayonetta for a couple years later. I think I had my first Bayonetta experience with bit was with Bayonetta too, but I played the shit out of this game. But this game was so weird, uber violent, really like had a very cool looking style, which I really appreciated, but it was very repetitive in a mind numbing way that kind of made you sad after a while, especially if you were unemployed, smoking resin on your couch in the middle of the day, sweating because you don't have proper air conditioning. Uh, yeah. So that demon that, souls, not that any of us had any inkling at no, the time, but it's man, what a year for games. Demon souls dropped this year, bro. That's crazy. Demon souls, Batman, Arkham Asylum, we didn't even talk about Dragon Age Origins, which is huge, huge, huge game uh, release. Very popular. There was also um, that Ghostbusters game that I went back and played recently because they did the uh, HD uh, re- remake or whatever, uh, which was great. That that came out this year. Just this is it's pretty much just a see. It's this it's the Ghostbusters three that everybody wanted. Yeah, and and honestly, man, I know we mentioned it briefly before, but I mean, I think the best game of this year potentially is Uncharted two. I mean, that Mm. game just completely just that game really had a huge impact on games. That's what's cool. Like this year has a bunch of games that for better, for worse, massively impacted Assassin's Creed 2, Batman Arkham Asylum, Uncharted 2, Borderlands. Those four games alone just completely, completely changed the landscape, I think. And, uh, And then you throw Bayonetta in there. You throw in League of Legends. We didn't even mention Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. Which is a mm. huge release on the DS. Like literally, no matter whether you were playing on mobile, on Xbox, on PlayStation, on PC, like there was just so many <laughs> banger releases. Sims three came out this year. People consider that to be the best Sims. Like 
It's just kind of absurd. Well, then we got to make the jump to movies. And oh boy, oh boy, am I seeing some real interesting, uh, yeah, interesting entries. Different scenario, let's just say, for film. Uh, whereas it, it kind of works like this. I feel like if it's a banger year for movies, it's like not so much a banger year for video <laughs> games and stuff. And so, yeah, we're seeing. Wow. A- wow. What a weird ass year. Where do we start? Holy. Like, my, the first movie on my list is Enter the Void, which is that crazy, like, psychedelic kind of uh nutty two almost three hour long experimental film (laughs) yeah that's weird that it's listed as popular yeah um no uh what does it say for top picks what is it picks all right well i think you know star trek really was solid star trek was super solid Watchmen, not nah, pretty, oh, pretty solid. Watchmen, we could spend the whole episode talking about the pros and cons of Watchmen yes. and Zack Snyder and yes. everything that that movie was. Honestly, the top pick for me should have been Drag Me to Hell. I love that movie. That's not in my top picks. Uh, Mystery Men, though, which is hilarious because I was like, what? no, Mystery Men did not come out in two thousand nine. That is cannot be true. I mean, I knew Donald Glover. I think by this point, maybe. If I didn't know wait, him, I was about to meet him, and he was just wait, in the scene. Are you Mystery Men? Or, I'm sorry, Mystery Team with Donald Trump. Okay, Lund. there we go. Mystery sorry. Men was the Ben yes, Stiller yes. And, and we already Hank talked Azaria. about it. We already yeah, yeah. talked about it, and like, it, was, it came out like a few years ago. Yeah, we, it, was, it made one of these episodes. Yeah, um, yeah Mystery Team, uh, which is so weird. And then after, these are my top picks. Star Trek, Watchmen, Jennifer's Body, which I actually saw recently and really enjoyed. Uh, Afro Samurai, Resurrection. Mystery team. What even is Gooby? What is Gooby? Gooby was like a, it was like one of those indie films that has like a dumb character. It looks horrifying. Yeah, it looks absolutely terrifying. That is my topic. Pokemon, Arceus, and the Jewel of Life. I'm insulted by these top picks. Uh, And Jim Gaffigan, King Baby. The uh, thing that really is standing out to me is the sci-fi section because, uh, Right off the bat, we have two movies. One made a giant emotional impact for me, and the other made a giant financial impact for me, which is uh, District 9. We did a whole episode about it. One of my favorite movies of all time. It nails uh, cutting-edge special effects on a budget. It nails uh, political expediency with a very relatable kind of universal story. Uh, Great action, great aesthetic, tight uh, novel format with like kind of the mockumentary bleeding into the rest of this t- like fantastic movie Avatar we're going to be living in Avatar land soon enough uh, like it's just James Cameron's coming in with the sequel tetralogy there's just going to be nothing but Avatar movies for the next uh, 10 years I remember um, I went to see Avatar on opening night with my family and in my with my family was my Israeli cousin uh, I have five Israeli cousins. They're all cool. And uh, he was coming to America on like a fun vacation because he was about to enter the army. They have like mandatory conscription there. And the surreal feeling of having an entire packed movie theater of like ostensibly, I mean, considering where I live, probably like middle class and upper class at least like 40% Jewish people all like hooting and cheering as American soldiers are like killed by like rocks and bows and arrows by a, a indigenous people. And just looking over at my cousin who is just like weirdly confused. Like he is the only person that even remotely understands the implications of what everyone's watching was so fucking surreal that I will never forget watching Avatar. It is insane how like, 
fucking hippy dippy that movie is and like everybody from red to blue just devoured that movie without thinking so i i still have not seen avatar uh I what think, uh, yeah holden you better because we're about to do a nine-part episode i'm series. sure we are i really there's something about it i hate but uh uh i will say inglorious bastards in 2009 mm. which this movie puts me I was trying to figure out where I was at in my life. This movie made it made me figure it out. So I am. We are. Murder Fist is going strong. We. Uh, this is our first outing in Wisconsin where we made a bunch of sketches with Adam Wirtz, who's fantastic. And we went and saw this movie while we were there. I do believe I was with my now ex at the time, and I think I'm about to go into my weird unemployment year. And. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Inglorious Pastors might be probably this is the best film of this year, uh, but there are some some other strong ones. I really love Adventureland, my favorite summer movie, one of my favorite summer movies of all time, if not my favorite, came out this year. Uh, that was really strong. Um, Funny People, I remember coming out this year. That weird kind of didn't know what it wanted to be. Like I thought it was going to be spectacular. Um, film with uh, Adam Sandler and directed by Judd Apatow about comedians in LA and it, I, and I ended up finding it to be very ambling and too long because it was directed by Judd Apatow so of course it's too long uh, so anyways um, uh, Daybreakers came out this year and this is one of my like favorite dark horse sci-fi action horror movies of all time it is once again a very heavy-handed political message. It was, you know, these are the post-Bush years. I'm like, oh, I'm keyed into this shit. 2009 was like, you know, we're getting to, like, the financial crisis. We're on the verge of Occupy. Like, I, this was extremely Jake's shit. And God, it was literally about an America where vampires are real. And just by the nature of how vampires work, they were running out of humans. And so there was a blood crisis happening. And all the, like, social implications of a vampire society dealing with, like, the econ- scarcity economics of human blood. And it was fucking fascinating. Um, Willem Dafoe is in it, and he has never been hammier. And I understand the implications of what I am saying when I say Willem Dafoe has never been hammier in a movie. <laughs> Such a good... Everybody listening has to at least watch Daybreakers one. I saw a ton of movies in the theater this year. Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was fantastic. <laughs> I hope it would be uh, that amazing where the wild things are. This is like me seeing a lot of indie movies in the theater uh, where the wild things are was fucking weird, man. Just put me in a shitty mood uh, for sure. Yeah, I saw funny people in the theater. I saw a serious man in the theater. I saw so many weird moody films in the theater this year. It's kind of hilarious. Um, the serious man is a uh, Coen brothers. Very good film. Have you seen a serious man? You it know what? what? I think, the idea of watching a Jewish sad father figure struggle uh, just had no appeal to me Dude, at that time. There is a scene. I'll just go ahead and kind of spoil it a little bit. There is a scene where it's this kid's bar mitzvah, and he gets way too high right before it, and they nail the feeling <laughs> of being way too high at, as a kid at like a place you really should not be way too high at. They kill it. It is so well done and therefore terrifying <laughs> and uh, so Yeah, unnerving. see, this is why I avoided it. This is, I did not need. Loved it. Um, One-two punch of just absolute turds. We have Dragon Ball Evolution yep. and X-Men Origins Wolverine, which yep. to this day is one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had in the theater. Like, it is so incompetent. 
so just laughably fucked as a movie. So for me, by the way, this is also bringing me back because like Drag Me to Hell. And in our Deadpool episode, we've covered exactly how and why it was fucked. And it's uh, executive meddling just through and through. So Drag Me to Hell, um, Adventureland, a lot of these movies, I specifically have a memory of seeing them because this is around the time we found that bootleg DVD spot that was literally just called Fruit. And you walk, there was some old fruit in front, and you walk in, <laughs> the place smelled, let's just say bad, because there were, let's just say jerk-off booths in the back, because there was a lot of mm-hmm. pornography there as well. But they had, he had a list of all the bootleg stuff, and he would rate all of it, too, so you would kind of know what you were getting. Sometimes you took home something that was unwatchable, but a lot of times you got screeners and stuff. And uh, so all of those movies were, were fall into this category for me. And now I bring this up because I got to see the real bad cut of what <laughs> X-Men Origins Wolverine. I got to see wow. the unfinished. Remember the unfinished yeah. cut that leaked? I got to see that turd. So you thought well, you got to see a turd? I saw the terrible, terrible, terrible version of it. The grim reality of the quote-unquote unfinished cut is that... Um, it was pretty much the complete cut. I think they just tried uh-huh. to like save face by being like, no, 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 you don't understand. Those there was are some unfinished. green screen. There was some stuff that was a lot of the effects that like people were like, what the fuck is this? We were like, oh, no, no, it's unfinished. And it turns out like, no, nah, they were. That's how they were looked. Um, so bad. Two of the greatest anime movies of all time really? came out in 2009. Uh, Summer Wars, which is an incredible uh, movie directed by one of the guys who did the Digimon movie um, and Redline, which is. Just the most pure serotonin, dopamine, anime action thing about like kind of this anime space wacky race that's just so full of violence and sex and action and awesomeness that like if you are ever in a bad mood, just immediately putting on Redline will get you to a better place. Okay. Documentaries were pretty good. One of my favorite docs of all time, The Wild Wonderful Whites of West Virginia, came out this year. Uh, Cropsy should have been better. It was it was kind of poorly made, but an interesting story. Dark mm. story, but interesting. Um, what else do we have? Oh, maybe that's it. Good Hair. I love Good Hair. Chris oh, Rock's documentary yeah. about uh, African-American hair uh, and the culture around it is fascinating. Yeah, some really a few interesting ones. Not not crazy a lot, but a few really interesting docs that I love. Best worst movie about Troll Two came out that year. There's some good stuff in there for sure. Uh, also, I have a funny story about Crazy Heart because Crazy Heart is of course about a horrible alcoholic that ends up um, finding uh, you know sobriety and all this stuff, and uh, as a musician. And uh, I, so as what, this was what we used to do when we go see movies uh, in the theater. I'm sure plenty of people do it, done it as well, but uh, we would get a bunch of tall boys because those were the easiest for us to like get the most amount of beers and hide them and get them into the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went with my buddy, Jared, we went and saw Crazy Heart and right around the point when he is standing up to speak at his first a, uh, AA meeting <laughs> at the end of the movie, Jared got up to go piss and uh, of course, J- knowing Jared, he's super clumsy, knocks all of our cans over that were empty oh that we've been drinking all throughout the movie. And everybody laughed. I was so embarrassed, but we were also laughing our asses off. It was like so. And it was also just general, genuinely pretty inappropriate to, to sneak beer into that movie. And we had no idea. We didn't realize. We just thought it was about a country singer uh, who had, you know, some drama. But either way, uh, also, did you did we mention Up already? No, no, we did not. Up came out this year. Big, big movie. I mean, I didn't. I haven't seen it, but Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs came out. 
Those guys went on to make the Lego movie. Um, that was a big year. Princess and the Frog was in, was uh, that was an interesting one, just because I think that was our first uh, African American uh, princess it was also, in Disney. I think it's still like the last two D animated movie Disney made. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, oh, I guess yeah. Frozen isn't actually a two D. I it, it I always think it is, but it's not, huh? Uh, all right. I, I, is there anything else? I feel like I picked out... Crank High Voltage, uh, America's Greatest well, Cinema. Well, Crank 2 is really what changed the game. Crank High Voltage just sort of started it, right? Isn't Crank 2... I think two Crank the... High... Is Crank... Crank 2 is Crank High Voltage. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Then, yes, that is the year that the, the <laughs> cinema world was forever. was forever changed by... <laughs> no, but that is fantastic. Also, definitely was living with Ben Kissel at this point because I distinctly remember him screaming about Orphan. Which, of course, if you don't know, spoiler alert on Orphan. If you ever want to watch Orphan, I'm about to spoil it. But I have to say it right now. At the very end of the movie, they're like, she's got some, I forget what the name of the disease is. She's like, she's actually 33 years old. (laughs) And she's like pretending to be a little girl the whole time and murdering people or whatever. But anyways, Mm -hmm. very, very funny uh, twist for that movie. I think that's about it. Um, He's just not that into you. It came out this year. The uh, just for just so we know what where we are in music, uh, it's uh, the top three songs are "Boom Boom Pow" by the Black Eyed Peas, uh, "Poker Face" by Lady Gaga, okay, uh, "Just Dance" by Lady Gaga, mm-hmm. and That's... coming in fourth we have "I Got a Feeling" by the Black Eyed Peas. So just immediately surrender to this era of music. Yeah, this Black Eyed Peas, and this really was the year for Lady Gaga uh, this year, and it's definitely next year as well. For her, she, yeah, she was just everywhere at this point. Uh, in terms of television, um, let's see what we got here. East Down and Down is the crazy weird. one for me. That's the one that's like, wow, that came out this year. That's like, mm. oh, damn, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, too. No shit. Yeah. Uh, Community, like one of my favorite sitcoms ever made. Um, no, I mean, it's all on Netflix. Watch it or don't. I don't, you know, don't. Uh, <laughs> fucking. Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, which was one of the most bizarre like yeah. follow-ups I've ever seen. This yes. is supposed to be his like, like okay, Firefly got fucked, but don't worry, we still got the Joss magic, and it's about murder slave girls. Yeah, fun. fun? I was not watching a lot of TV at this point. This is when I was really just playing video games and watching movies. I really, yeah. I, I have like nothing for this. The United uh, States of Terra. I just remember seeing the posters on the subway. Interesting, yeah. Uh, early Parks and Recreation when it was bad and they had to fix it. Um, oh, Regular Show premiered. I fucking yes. loved Regular Show. Regular Show did premiere. Oh, God. Uh, Deadliest Warrior came out. And, like, this is, like, a whole... This genre of show, like, has taken over, like, TLC and Discovery Channel and History Channel, where it's just a bunch of weird guys just, like, standing around being, like... Okay, so who would win, an Iroquois warrior or a Scottish Highlander? And then just, like, bad CG. And then, like, just pure, like, boomer dad, like, space filler. It's just, I fucking hate that genre. I'm Definitely sorry. a show that annoyed the shit out of me that I wonder if I would actually like it today is Glee. Or that was a big one. And then another big one, dude, Jersey Shore, bro. That uh... really was made a splash. And it was, like, around this time where we were, like, we just love to ogle at 
crazy drunk people. Like we were just, mm-hmm. I think this was when we got really cynical. Cause I think this is also when Britney Spears has her very public meltdown. We got very cynical about celebrity culture and like mm-hmm. loved to see the, them fall from grace. Like, uh, Perez Hilton, I think was huge at this point. I think I was probably working TMZ, at Getty. All that I think shit. I was working at Getty images at this point. Is that kind of, that feels like that rings true. I'm past. Um, so maybe I am, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying to place all this stuff. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not quite a Getty. I think I think we talked about 2008 was the weird year, and then I get back into the grind with uh, Getty Images and stuff. After that, I think I don't know. Who knows? Mm. At this point, uh, it's too long ago to say. Uh, but yeah, I did not watch a lot of TV. Just period. Me neither. I am not seeing a lot of, and I'm not feeling. I'm just also not seeing a ton of good TV. Ooh, Party Down started uh, this year, which is one of my favorite okay. shows. Good. That's great, but I wouldn't find it till later, and I actually found it because my parents, which is fun. Which, interestingly enough, yeah, uh, this is this is weird. Yeah. Tosh point oh, good, great. We got Tosh point oh. Yeah, it's just a lot of stuff that's making me like hate the world. Is what's happening on TV? You know what I mean? Is this all just like fallout from the TV writer strike? Is this all just like just- maybe? And also, like YouTube's is sort of happening in a way that's taking the over mm. the space. Is Netflix digital happening yet? Is Netflix streaming I, happening yet? I think it's it's starting to happen, but it's still like subsidiary to the mail-in business. So I just I don't know. Yeah, it's a this is a I'm glad I wasn't watching much TV because this is a fucking terrible year for it. You spun it down though, man. You spun it down and party down. Those are my uh, jams from this year for sure. Let's see. Casually trying to find a list of like the most popular YouTubers of 2009. And uh, let's see who. Oh, my God. Uh, just OK. David after dentist, I guess uh, the fucking a million different um, a million fucking like uh, couples walking down the aisle doing meme dances. Uh, this is not this is not the golden age of YouTube yet. Very bizarre. Well, all right. Um, I think that about does it, Jake. There you go. Oh, Ray William Johnson. Everyone loves Ray William Johnson. Sure, sure, sure. All right, there you go. There's another episode of the Year in Review 2008. Great year for video games. Kind of a all over the place year for movies. A terrible year for television. <laughs> and Lady Gaga's year in music. Uh, I think that that's about where we're at. And I'm still trying to find myself. And I'm generally, I think, you know, I don't know. Highs and lows for me as well. It was movies for Holden as well this year, I think. I had big highs, big fun live shows and stuff with Murder Fist. And gigantic, just lows upon lows with, uh, I think I might be breaking up with the old X around this time. It's like this now, year hold or next. In. This, uh, 2009 is actually closing the door on the aughts. Yes. So the question is, do we move forward or do we move back? Back. You guys let us know. What would you guys rather? Tw- the 2010s year in review or next? 90s. Or should we actually go back in time and cover bam, the 90s? Bam, bam, bam. And cover them 90s and get uh, all the way up to 2000 because we weirdly started with 2001, I believe. Yeah, it would be if we started the 90s where it's going to be less uh, nostalgic or it's going to be weird being like, OK, so there I was on the floor playing with alphabet blocks. <laughs> it'll be less bad. It'll be more of a us looking at the year having eventually seen all of these movies. And stuff. <laughs> like 1990 movies. Let me just pull this up really quick. I just so curious. Yeah. The Witches, Ghost, Edward Scissorhands. Oh my God, what a year. Crybaby, Kindergarten Cop. Ah, we're in the wrong decade. 
This is an amazing year. <laughs> Dick Tracy, Ghost Dad, Gremlins 2, The New Batch, Never Ending These Story 2. These are all weird-ass movies. You're not, they're you're all saying, so weird. They're very weird. They're so weird. Total Recall, Dark Man, Days of Thunder. Jacob's Ladder. What the fuck? <laughs> this is such a weird year. Robocop 2. But ah, we're burning. Okay, I th- okay, Tremors, okay, okay. Child's Play 2. Are you kidding this year? This year's ridiculous. Arachnophobia? Jesus Christ. Misery, dude. This is... What? Wow. I'm excited. There was something in the water. I just watched Mermaids. Problem Child. Oh, my God. I saw that in the theater. So, I okay, I will at least say this. I saw Problem Child in the movie theater. So, I I was at (laughs) least of age to go be accompanied by my father, who hated this movie, by the way, (laughs) and see a movie in the movie theater. So, it's not that crazy. It's not that far off. All right, we were eight. We were eight years old. Okay, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. We'll be back next week with more bonus content. And until then, we just want to say thank you for your patronage, for your support, for your love. And we'll see you soon.